Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, dearest good friend of the program, Matthew Penny is here. Matt, how's it going? Life is great, man. I'm happy to, to be back. Call to the bullpen, dust it off the microphone. Let's talk some draft. Let's talk some hoops. This is a, this is a special podcast because it will involve me and Penny doing a watch-along party with the Pittsburgh Penguins as they're down <laughs> three to two. Some of us. With the yeah. New York Islanders in this series, uh, and I will be having a meltdown as Tristan Jari decides to pass the puck directly to the Islanders and then have what looked like a borderline seizure trying to poke check someone from 50 feet away. So, <laughs> so that's, it's, it's that's going, where my it's brain's well. at. It's going well, yeah. <laughs> my funny Pittsburgh Penguin story is I grew up outside of Boston, which I, I probably beat up and, and mentioned too much but i was also a front runner i was a big mario lemieux fan back in the day so i, I went and saw the penguins play uh the bruins at the garden and my dad got me a, a, a pittsburgh jersey before the game i was young Love i don't know it. whatever seven years old and and we we're behind the net maybe like seven or eight rows and lemieux scored a goal and i stood up and i threw my arms in the air and I felt something hit me in the back, like a Bruins fan threw a piece of trash at me. Just like, <laughs> welcome to Boston, kid. Oh my god! My dad's that's like, incredible. all right, sit down. Why don't you Why don't you take the jersey off? I had like a Bruins T-shirt on, and then like the uh, the Mario jersey over it. It's like let's let's wear the T-shirt for the rest of the game. Was that your first uh, hockey game ever? Uh, I don't think so. No, that would have been a scarring a scarring moment that forced me toward basketball ultimately, but not my first. I think my favorite hockey moment is I went to a Penguins senators playoff game oh god this had to be 2009-ish range and because this was even like before i could like legally drink and it might even been like 2007-ish and it was when gary roberts played for the penguins and he scored two goals and the penguins were up like five nothing and the entire or like arena was chanting scary gary because he was just like the 40 year old man who looked like he could beat up everyone on the entire like set of two teams and like these people just drunk next to us i'm talking like they had to be 15 beers deep within the first within two and a half hours of drinking right like trash drunk and the entire time they were just spilling beer all over us the entire way um chanting scary gary as I watched like the Danny Heatley Senators uh, fail to mount a comeback against the Penguins. It was it was like pure Pittsburgh in such a uh, <laughs> such a distilled you come home way. Smelling like Pittsburgh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That that's too good. Um, okay, so what we're really going to talk about today? We're going to talk a little bit about the overtime elite program and their signings uh, of the Buley twins and the Thompson twins kind of what we're thinking with that program going forward how it fits into the ecosystem of basketball which i think is pretty interesting actually and i think matt agrees we're gonna talk a little bit about alperin sengun who i think is probably the most interesting nba draft prospect in terms of like newsworthiness right now uh, it, it's a bit of a dead zone to be honest uh we're gonna talk a little bit about like the playoffs here and in that context of sengun just like how does this player type work in the playoffs? Uh, we're going to do Matt Penny recruiting stories. We're going to do some mayor of East town uh, theories. So please, at the end of the show, we will absolutely have a bit of a spoiler uh, alert for mayor of East town, making sure that we don't spoil anything for people who have not seen it for the love of God. Everyone watch mayor of East town. It's so fucking good. But before we get there, Penny, uh, let, let's just talk about this overtime elite program. So, you you live in the grassroots space in a way that I don't. So I'm just kind of going to give you the lead on this. Explain to me. I mean, you, you can give the background on OTE. You can give kind of kind of everything that you're looking for here. Oh, that's a that's a heavy uh, unpack there. So the overtime elite league was established to kind of do similar to what the G League Ignite program did is offer another pathway pre-NBA, pre-professional option for high school level kids to pursue without necessarily having to go to college before the NBA path. So when they rolled out the official announcement a couple months ago, their goal was to sign, I think it was around 60 players to launch this inaugural league and they've set up shop in Atlanta 
and they have a facility out there. And now we're, we're kind of turning the corner. They started to have their first signings, as you alluded to, in both Ryan and Matt Buley and Asor and Amen Thompson. So just as a – I think I'll kind of start by just giving a, a quick background of the games of those guys, and then we can dive well, into our, our individual thoughts. But before we do that, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the program um, and, and just kind of explain that – it's more of like a a high school program than the G league ignite because the Buleys, for instance, like are not eligible to be signed. The Thompson's are not eligible to be signed. I don't think by the G league because of their age and look like the ignite could at the end of the day, just kind of decide to change the rules. (laughs) Like if the G league, yes, which, which, which we'll get there, but they're kind of doing that on the fly as well, which, which I understand. They are. And by the way, the Penguins just scored because <laughs> Jeff Carter is a god among men and like the greatest trade deadline deal in the history of Pittsburgh other than Bill Guerin. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of changing the rules on the fly a little bit already. And it's worth kind of just noting that I think that OTE is seen as more of a pathway to to get to like the profession like the true professional levels and to get paid while doing so and thus give up your collegiate eligibility whereas like the g league ignite you're playing against you know pros that are somewhere between 24 and 30 years old every night yes and that's a good way of putting it but they're also it's this kind of funky space where they're recruiting the same kids in a sense to go to overtime versus the G league ignite. And then some guys still leaning toward the college path. So it's kind of like this intermediary between the two. It's a, it's a good way of putting it. And so, so the question that I think you and I both have before we get into like the guys here that have signed uh, is who are these kids going to play? Because right now there yes. are four kids that are committed, and that's not enough to field a team, obviously. Uh, I, I would assume that they're going to get enough to field a team, at the very least. Uh, Efton Reed's mom, in a story with Adam Zagoria, had some interesting comments. And, and you shared it with me, so I'll give you the floor to kind of explain what was said there. So Efton Reed, a big man who was at IMG Academy, he was down to LSU, Overtime Elite, a couple of their options, and it was thought he may sign with Overtime Elite. And his mom, in the article you're mentioning, said something along the lines of what was pitched to Efton was playing against prep school teams like IMG Academy, Mount Verde Academy, Oak Hill Academy, and the like. And her response was it wouldn't prepare her son playing against high school kids for him to want to be a pro and reach the level he thinks he can attain. My response is similar in that I don't think those schools will play against the overtime elite team anyway, as those prep teams aren't going to want to jeopardize the other players on their roster's eligibility in kind of, I don't say meaningless games, but kind of throwaway games versus now professional athletes, because these guys are all signing contracts and are deemed no longer amateurs. So uh, it, it almost feels like, and, and maybe, I'm, I'm sure that overtime elite like has a plan right here like we think they have a plan in terms of who they're going to be able to play yeah i I hope so yeah i mean i I hope they're not kind of doing the fly and there's some basketball people around the program so i'm sure there's a vision but if there there were real feelers put out to prep teams and it was a little different with lamello ball and somebody made this point to me when he kind of played professionally and came back it was this unknown of if he actually signed and lavar said he didn't but he's just playing over there and then lamello played for spire they had a hard time finding guys to play too. And if you turn to the Wayback Machine, if you remember when Ennis Cantor was in high school and I think he was at like Stone Ridge Prep, he was deemed a professional. So a lot of other prep school teams out in the West Coast wouldn't play him. So it's not the first time we've been faced with this issue, but it's certainly a new twist for schools and the like to figure out who exactly they, they can be playing and if it's even worth it to to play a team like that. Yeah, and... I'm just, uh, you know, like you even look at these releases for Amino Sor Thompson, right? Like, it's not really any news in terms of who they're going to play. It just says, like, 
OTE provides a comprehensive accelerator for elite players' professional careers. The league, a division of next-generation sports brand Overtime, offers a year-round development program combining world-class coaching, cutting-edge sports science, and performance technologies, top-notch facilities, and a rigorous, highly personalized academic program that energizes and enhances each athlete's journey. Every OTE player will earn a six-figure salary with a guaranteed minimum of at least $100,000 per year, plus bonuses and shares of equity in Overtime. In addition, players will participate in revenue from use of their name, image, and likeness, including through sales of custom jerseys, trading cards, video games, and NFTs. But like... But it sounds like a a landing page for any kind of protein. Yeah. Right. There's no... like It's it's exactly what you're saying. There's no new info in... The launch date is November 1st. We will play so-and-so at this arena in Atlanta, followed by a road trip playing this team and that team. And, And maybe... The first thing they're trying to do is actually build the roster. They've put out feelers to a lot of people and, and cast kind of a, a widish net to, to hit their numbers of what it would be. But I, I haven't seen anything, and I, I've actually looked to try to figure out yeah. who they may play, and I, I'm kind of drawn a blank, too. Well, yeah, and like the other thing is that they're kind of branding themselves as a transformative sports league, not as like a couple of teams that will play outside of the league. You know what I mean? Sure. So um, and it's just it's just different too because when you we think about the G League Ignite, which it's not they're not like sister programs, maybe like cousins, I guess, because it's still a a professional route. So yeah. for a, a guy like we've talked about a, a little bit, Scooter Henderson, who was uh, he, he's a guard, very tough, hard nosed guard from Georgia, Kell High School. He was debating going to Auburn, debating playing for overtime, going to G League Ignite. For him in the G League Ignite, there's already proof of concept with the league. And right. that is, uh, to steal a term used, it's a true minor league ecosystem, which includes real bona fide NBA competition. And I saw a tweet yesterday, or, or maybe two days ago, that the G League had nearly half of the players in the NBA playoffs with some experience in the G League, which is kind of crazy when you think about it in a, in a wild stat. And, and that's why, like, if you go and play for the G League Ignite, you're, you're playing the big boys. I mean, we we watched the them play and first game they're playing jordan Poole, who's who's played his way up and has played significant minutes in meaningful games to to end the year there's no really nights off so there's already been established you're gonna get better because you're playing against nba guys every night that's probably more appealing for a guy like scuda to do that for two years because he won't be draft eligible as opposed to taking a leap with a, a new company and endeavor which can be enticing but you just don't necessarily know where you're going to land yet. And this could clarify itself in, in maybe a season or maybe 60 days, but it's just not there yet. It's not fully baked. Yeah, the uh, the, the good news is that Tristan Jari gave up a goal on the first shot he faced. <laughs> so this is, this is all going you know what you should, you know what should do? The, the next step is we'll, we'll do this on like YouTube, and you'll have like your TV screen embedded in the top right-hand <laughs> corner so we can understand why you're fist-pumping while I'm making points about uh, clarity in the Overtime Elite League. Well, and I think Scooter is really good too. By the way, like I, I've seen that kid's tape. That kid's awesome. That kid's like a crazy athlete. Super, <laughs> like super first step. Like has a real frame. I think to be able to play at the G League level, like most point guards, I, I would be terrified of sending to that level uh, ASAP. Right? Because oh, sure. There's something. He, he's missing. a really he's a really tough kid. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he's going to back down from competition. He thrives in that, and all his games are are kind of must see TV in that area, and they're always packed. And ironically, and I, I do this for draft stuff too, for declarations, because you don't know when a, when a guy's going to declare or say he's going back to school. So I'll have a bunch of videos like lined up and ready to tweet. And I had one because I thought he was going to sign with overtime saying savvy signing by overtime elite to get Scooter Henderson, right. high level player that can put fans in the seats. Cause that's the, I, I think the style and caliber of player that they're seeking out that it's still ultimately a content company that wants eyes and views and clicks. And he's a good person to get behind. So it probably hurt him a little bit when he decided to go a different direction. Yeah, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, too, like, we're raising a lot of questions with Overtime Elite. Like, I do want to be clear. I think both of us are actually pretty firmly in favor of this existing, right? Like, we we would like to see it succeed in, like, a real way because it really does create uh, a different pathway for kids that know that they want to play professional basketball and potentially give them the kind of training that they deserve. And, you know, hopefully... 
like I, I would imagine that they're going to try and you know cultivate a an academic curriculum that is more geared toward like a professional basketball player pathway, right? Uh, and I think that that's all really valuable and like really something that could help uh, the development trajectories of a lot of players, but. Uh, we, we just have some questions about where this is going, right? I like the idea of, of a, a educational system pathway, too, that it's more geared toward financial planning and branding and accounting and signing your manager or whatever it is. So many missing pieces that some prospects have going to college, and then you're thrown into this draft process and your head's spinning. It's crazy. And I'm all for a free market system. I'm the same way with college transfers. If guys want to go somewhere – Go do it. And for guys like the Thompsons or the Buleys, if the trajectory doesn't end up being as high as what's projected, go and get your money now. And if the NBA is the final destination, awesome. If not, they're profiting off their current ability status as they very well should. Yeah, like it's amazing for these kids that they're going to be able to make six figures <laughs> like from the yeah, time the- that they're 15, 16, 17 years old onward. Um or at least, you know, for a year or two, right? And that's going to put them in yeah. a much better financial position going forward. And I believe um, that part of this OTE thing is that they also get, like, scholarship, or they get, like, some sort of scholarship, right? And the G League is similar. It has, like, you, you yeah. still had scholarship to, to go back to college if you would after the fact, which is a, a good gesture. I don't know how many guys would necessarily take advantage of it, but good if they do. And even NBA Commissioner Adam Silver echoed kind of what we're saying that he thought it was a great opportunity for high level high school players to seek out professional options as opposed to the traditional college route if that's not something they want to do. Yeah, and I would, I really hope that this works. Like, I would, I would love nothing more than for like the Buleys and the Thompsons to make the NBA and like for this to become a real proof of concept for OTE. And I, I would, I think that it's good for college basketball to lose some relevance, if we're going to be honest with it. Like, <laughs> we just took a turn, put the blinker on, Penguins let up a goal, we're going to negative town. I'm sorry. It's good for it's your athletes. Show. It is good for athletes to have more options at the end of the day. Um, and if that ends up with college basketball, look, college basketball is still going to be enormous. Like It's not like uh, teams are going to stop rooting for their teams at the end of the day. Coaches' salaries are still going to be gigantic um I, I just want more options that can trickle down to the players in terms of being able to make money that's it i would like them too for for overtime elite and i know they're they're definitely trying is if they can land really like a, a big fish a big name guy to go along with the Buleys who are consensus top 15 20 guys the thompsons who are top 30 guys I, i'd really like them to get a, a selfishly a top five or, or ten player as well is is really the the face of this thing too because it'll just propel it to even greater I don't know I, I'd say exposure but also it, it'd be more interest on it to the outside basketball world like there was a, a tweet that Andrew Slater had the other day of Kevin Ollie uh, who's the head coach of, of this program at the Hoop Group Southern Jam Fest watching team final who has Amani Bates and Jalen Duran. Do they get those guys? Have no idea. Uh, but if, if you do land one of them, that kind of gives far more credibility and people may start taking that as seriously as a G League Ignite kind of offer would. Yep, that's a really good point. Uh, scouting breakdowns on the Buleys and the Thompsons. Uh, you've seen them much more than I have. I have not yet gotten eyes on any of those four kids. So please, so, this is all you. So Buleys, yes, because they attended West Oak School in Florida. They played for Team Breakdown on the Under Armour circuit. And uh, just for a little bit of context, Team Breakdown, this isn't their first rodeo. They've had Brandon Knight, Anthony Simons. They have Kai Jones in this draft class. So they, they've been around the block. Both the twins have always played up. So even what seemed like two years ago in the class of 2020 were rising seniors, they were playing 17U as 2023s, which is hard to do regardless of how talented you are. And they held their own. They really came on the end of the summer at the Fab 48 in Las Vegas. Just from a scouting perspective, both around six foot nine, strong frames. Matt Buley's a little bit more wing based. Ryan's a little bit more physical. Rangy athletes. Ryan claims a 39 inch vertical. They played in the grind session this past season in Arizona, which is kind of these one of these leagues that was still open despite all the pandemic and COVID stuff. Average 17 and 12 a game, multiple blocks. Matt Buley's 
number two on 24-7 composite for 2023. His brother Ryan is 16. For the Thompsons, who I have not seen in person yet, I've only seen clips and film and was hoping to catch them at Pangos All-American Camp in a few weeks, but don't think that's happening. And by the way, the Buleys as well, it's worth mentioning um, that... Oh, I'm sorry. I just totally lost my train of thought. Totally. Go ahead, Penny. I'm sorry. Somebody made a... uh, they like a kick save and threw you off. Like put your put your brain in a blender for a second. Well, I mean, Malkin just like decided to murder <laughs> yeah, someone. I, at the I boards. knew it. I, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he got tripped down in the face, and then uh, someone on the Islanders punched. Uh, who was it? Someone else in the face. I couldn't tell. Um, hockey tough. Well, we can't actually, decipher who's punching who in the face. It's hockey. Yeah. Yeah, I actually couldn't. That's not why I stopped. I just like totally uh, blanked on what I was going to say in regard to the Buleys. Um Yeah, go ahead. Just talk. <laughs> so, okay. So the Thompsons, Osser and, and Amen Thompson, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, really explosive athletes, some of the best defenders in high school basketball, terrors in transition, really long strides, covering ground, get to their spots, play incredibly hard, and they are an absolute tear this spring. They're composite 30 and 31 ranked on 24-7, but... I fully expected them to have shot up in the next kind of ranking cycle and, and been in that McDonald's All-American type of conversation. Uh, I know what I wanted to say with the Buleys. The Buleys are a little bit older as well. It's worth mentioning. Um, they, I think, are more like the age of 2022 class, right? Uh, yeah, it sounds right. I'll, I'll look it up on the fly, but technically 2023. But when, with guys that young, and Anthony Edwards is too, you don't really know their right. real class until it's it's time to, to talk turkey, which we're kind of doing right now. Right. Like, I think that Matt Buley is already 17. Or I think that, I mean... Well, that, that means 17. Ryan Buley would be Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> right. like, I believe that yeah. they're both yeah. uh, 17 already. Okay, yeah. So that obviously plays a role here in, like, what class they may end up being a part of. It, it might end up that they're two-year players, not three-year players in the uh, OTE program. Yeah, I, I would anticipate two. I don't, I don't think three. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I realize I have, like, seen a little bit of the Buleys. Um, not a crazy amount. Not nearly enough to give anything resembling a breakdown. And by the way, Jake Gensel just scored on Ilya Sorokin. And I'm <laughs> very fucking happy right now. Um, uh, this is so Pittsburgh. Is there a yingling next to you, too? Is there, is there a, a hoagie? Some water? Some water, I, yeah. Okay. I am in fucking Australia. If I could get, if someone That's true. is <laughs> willing true. to send me Yingling, like for the love of God, please, like, oh please man, I, it was such it, it was such a thing. We had Reebok camp in Philly because Yingling wasn't always like widely distributed, so it was like a nice treat in the summertime. Like, oh, here it is. Now I can get it everywhere. It's like, yeah, I'm back to Coors Light. But for there was a there was a moment in time where Yingling was really uh, the apple of my eye in the beer department. I mean, I, I will say, like, I, I live in California for eight years. I could not find Yingling in California, really. Mm. So it was, uh, it, was, it was a tough, tough look for your boy. But uh, to move forward here, uh, I'm trying to confirm the ages of the Buleys. I, be- yeah, I believe that they're 17 already. Yeah. Because they're, they're early, early January. Um, what are they? They're like early January um 2000 and what 2005 2006 no 2000 and 2004 i think is their birthday early january 2000 yeah so that would be 17 probably or close to being 17 this calendar year they'd be 17 anyway yeah i I, and part of the problem for them is that because they're 2004 they're not quite eligible for the 20 because theoretically like if they were born a month earlier they could have been eligible for the 2022 draft but right because they weren't their earliest draft is 2023 i believe so yeah um it, it's yeah they're they're 17 already that's right got it okay hot yeah. take we're 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 doing stuff on the fly on this podcast hot take birthdays uh goal scored beer all, all the above yeah this is this is fantastic stuff um okay so any other just kind of stray thoughts on ote before we uh move on and talk a little alper and singoon um my my only kind of to take away stray thought is that I'm I'm hoping that they're able to put together a few more guys and it, it makes sense because in in theory I I really like what it is I just it there's too much uncertainty right now for me to kind of sink my teeth into the actual team itself I, I'm really curious I guess my eyeballs will be glued to Twitter and on to events the next month and see where these guys kind of pop up to evaluate and maybe sign guys late. 
I, I just look at these top 100 lists, and if you're getting 20 guys, 30 guys, 60 guys, I, I just don't necessarily know who they are, unless you go younger. And I don't think there's going to be a ton of situations like the Buleys in 2023 where the birthday makes it so where they can play. And a lot of 2022 guys are kind of spoken for, and, and money can change that, and opportunity can change that. But for right now, it's still kind of a, a toss-up of how this thing looks. Yeah, especially with it just being unproven until these kids start getting a chance to play in these environments. So it's going to be worth tracking. Like, I think it's a really important story that matters within the context of basketball development moving forward. Yeah, totally. And it's it's it'll be uh, an interesting case study down the road to see that versus G League Ignite and what has has legs and works for each program, which doesn't, which kind of has the um, stamina capacity to, to withstand multiple years. Yeah, and you mentioned the idea of getting elite-level players. Um, G League has had a much better run of that so far. So maybe it ends up being that... Maybe OTE ends up being a feeder for the G League program at some point. Uh, maybe, you know, that that ends up being a thing. That, that could... That could be interesting to me. Yeah, you're, you're making up too many things that make sense on the fly while, while watching hockey in the background. Yeah, by the Impressive. way, uh, Tristan Jari just gave up the juiciest <laughs> rebound in the history of hockey and gave up another goal. Uh, the Islanders have scored on two shots. Two goals. I think that's good. Uh, not, not for your boy. Or a bad, yeah, depending on which side you're on. Let's go to a quick commercial break while I uh, drown my tears uh in, in sorrow like what what what, the, what in the fuck is tristan jari doing <laughs> <laughs> is this a commercial this is a hot mic this is this is a hot mic uh, i love it i didn't know and i'll watch my language but i don't know what he's doing i'm locked in Okay, and we are back here uh, again. We're, we're we're sitting on a, a solid, a solid four shots that Tristan Jari has faced and has already given up two goals. I, I guess that he did have to make a save to give up the juiciest rebound in the history of hockey. But you know, was it really a save? Uh, let's talk Alper and Sengun. So I, I assume that you've watched. Um, a pretty real amount of him because I sent you a couple of games where I was like, holy shit, this guy is maybe something different than what we thought. Mm, yes. I've dug back into to more games as well. Yes. Well, I, I help me get there. Help, help me get there. I, I know he's like a, a top 10 guy for you. I'm just, I'm not quite there as a, as a top 10 guy and I'll let you kind of intro. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I, I need a, I need a Sam Vecini sell on him. Yeah, so early in the season, I, I was a little bit more worried about him being... He's definitely like a pick-and-roll big who was really good around the basket and was really good um, at finding little like gaps in areas in coverages to be able to uh, just get a lot of points and rebounds, right? Uh, having great feel for the ball, having great feel and a nose for the basket, Um really has improved his footwork to the point where he is not like an athlete by NBA standards or anything, but good enough, passable, right? What we've seen in the last month from him is a little bit different because he started to actually like create off the bounce in a straight line. Uh, he's starting to actually be able to get to the rim uh, as a perimeter attacking big not just like a, okay, I need a screen and then to be able to roll or screen and short roll to drive. Like some of the things he's doing, grabbing and going in transition, some of the things he's doing, uh, just like catching the ball at the top of the key, driving and then like kicking out. His passing ability has really showcased itself over the course of the last, I would say, month, realistically. Um, and he looks a lot more comfortable as a perimeter big than what I thought he was having seen him uh, having. I mean, I've watched a lot of his tape. I've probably watched, I don't know, 500, 600 minutes of his tape at this point. And I, I am very much impressed. I think I say 500 games. I'm like, I don't know if those are out there. If there are, you're on some like dark web website finding them because i can't dark web I've, turkey I've uh <laughs> Shengun. yeah that's that's not good for your for search history but 
I, I'm in agreement with you. Like he had that one move that, that I tweeted. He, he kind of caught it, did an inside out dribble and finished. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's different. He still kind of has this tendency to turn his back from the perimeter and back down. He's just comfortable doing that. In the last, I'd say two or three games, it was end of the shot clock. And you could tell he wanted to take like kind of a wild shot. And he did like a step back three. He missed one of them, hit the other one. But the confidence is growing that he believes he can hit those type of shots. My kickback to you kind of is, I just don't see him as Jokic. I, I just, I can't get there with, Sangoon's probably closer to 6'9", would you say? I would say he's six foot nine. He's between 6'9 and 6'10", I would say, yeah. So he's like 6'9", 240, 7-foot wingspan. Jokic yeah. is 6'11". I think draft time he's closer to 250. And now they list him at like 280, which what, I, split I mean, the when, difference. To, when to, the Nuggets drafted him, I think he might have been even a little bit closer to like 260. Um, okay, fine. So he, he's and, got some, and, a, a little bit of size on him. Did, did you give a wingspan there on Jokic? Or, uh, seven foot three, I believe. Yeah, like it's, a nine it's, three standing reach. Yeah, it's between like seven three and seven four. Uh, Jokic isn't the comparison for Sengun, in my opinion. To me, it's Kevin Love. Oh, okay. That that makes me feel a little bit better because my follow up was going to be like even Cantor, Vooch, Nurk. They're all like six ten, six eleven. Even Kevin Love. I mean, he was he, he had that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that season in Minnesota, he's like really shooting the ball in a, a double-double machine. But he can kind of rip off the rim and was like an all-time outlet passer, full court. Yeah. And that was, to me, like his, um, I don't want to use the word separator, but his like secret tool of this is what makes me a, a special prospect. I think Sangoon right now is at like two and a half assists per game. You mentioned it that kind of over the last month. He had eight assists in a game. He had five the the last game he played and shoot as well the the last month he has before. I just I, I can't get fully on board with the foot speed stuff and even rotationally on defense. He was everybody gets dunked on, so I want to stop there before people get nuts. But he's just a little <laughs> bit slow to react yeah. and slide in the lane. And in the NBA, man, like guys are going down the lane and, and looking to dunk in your head every single play. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that this is where I wanted to transition the conversation from purely just Sangoon to what we're watching in the playoffs and what is what matters now in basketball and in, in NBA basketball particularly because we often talk about these guys that came around too early or too late in regard to their skill set you know what i mean like um guys who just didn't quite make it in the way that they would have 15 years earlier or Guys, you know, the the true big man, the Kofi Coburn, for instance. Kofi Coburn probably would have gone, you know, top 15 in the draft uh, back in 2000. And Garza, too. And yeah. Luca Garza, as well. Looking back, I kind of think that Kevin Love, like, came around at the exact perfect time for his career. Uh, he got to have the early portion of his career in a circumstance before basketball really started to move toward a perimeter oriented style and he got to you know work his way into shape and you know because when kevin love got to the nba he was still a heavy dude uh much like sangoon was a few years ago sangoon uh, you know 18 months ago was 260 pounds so he got to work his way into a career and into a high level career an all-star level career even by the end of it at 250 pounds because he was so good at rebounding and because teams weren't as willing or as able to take advantage of him in space defensively um back then because they were playing a little bit bigger and a little bit less skilled across the board then as his career progressed and he continued to get into shape he continued to improve his perimeter skills he got to the point where he was a very capable perimeter offensive player but the defensive issues were still always kind of prevalent he got better but i just wonder if how, how valuable is this skill set if kevin love was coming around today like how, how would we look at kevin love's career if kevin love's career started in 2017 i i don't really have an answer to that it's, to be honest because uh, i, I, no, I don't i don't yeah, I do too, and I'm just looking up now as we're talking. So, 2008 NBA draft, he was selected fifth. I don't like even if Kevin Love had what he did at at UCLA and the background of being a high level high school guy in today's game in today's day and age, 
where does he go? Where's Kevin Love going this draft? If if we're valuing different things now, and it's it's just more appealing to me with rim running bigs that protect the the rim, and Kevin Love shooting is kind of like you can take one or the other. But I don't I don't even know in, in today's day and age if we'd be talking about him as a top ten pick, which sounds like a little bit sacrilegious. Yeah, and and you just need to find like the right team and fit, and the the same thing it circles back to Sangoon. If if you just have I talked to a couple NBA scouts this week to try to gauge their interest in Sangoon, and the, it was common that a lot of them said it's an acquired taste. It's definitely a fit thing. It works if you're able to use him in your offense into what you're already trying to do, where the new breed of rim-protecting bigs in that Robert Williams mold are seem to be guys that would be drafted higher if they're in the same draft this year. So I think Kevin Love would still go really high in this draft. I will say that. You know, Kevin Love averaged like he's, he's, it, eighteen and eleven. Is he going fifth at UCLA. Um, yeah, I don't no, know if he, 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 he was a dude. I, I do think he goes top ten in this draft, even with being at that point in his career. What was he? He was listed maybe. probably at six foot nine, two hundred and fifty five pounds, something like that. Maybe he, maybe in our alternate universe, he can go sixth because we can't figure out who sixth is. Kevin Love just solved this problem for us on the fly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Ru- um, Russell Westbrook went fourth in that draft. Kevin Love went fifth. That was a pretty good UCLA team. But here, here's the thing. Like, Kevin Love was unbelievable and productive and, you know, w- was what we thought he was. Sangoon is, like, basically doing that, right? Like, he is in a better league right now than the Pac-12, for sure. He's doing essentially what Kevin Love did in the Pac-12. And he's doing it in Turkey, which, I don't know, probably, you know, third, fourth, fifth best league in Europe, something along those lines. Uh, good amount of money in that league for sure. Um, like a, a very real, very like strong league across the board, and he's averaging like eighteen point six points, nine rebounds, three assists. Like he's really putting together a very, very impressive little run here. And then on top of it, he's shooting the ball now, and yeah. he's uh, showcasing uh, some uh, real like perimeter skills offensively like it's everyone kind of melted down about Nikola Jokic in his uh second year in uh mega I believe it was his second year might have been his third year but the the post draft year with Jokic where he emerged in 2014-15 into like one of if not the best player in Europe I mean Jokic averaged like 16.5 and 10 and three assists and like Jokic had is bigger and has more translatable skills and I think is certainly a better prospect uh, post uh, post that or his post draft year, I guess is the way to put it with mega than Sangoon is for Besiktas in Turkey. But uh, the, the production is just like at a historic level for a teenager in Europe. Like it's, he is 18 years old and is doing shit that like, I don't, I don't even know how to really contextualize, you know? Well, John Hollinger, your coworker, said on on a pod I was listening to that like, you have to trust the data. There hasn't been guys who've played overseas like this and put up these type of numbers that haven't produced at some level in the NBA. You always make me work. I'm always like on the fly here. I didn't know where you go into Kevin Loveland. My counter to your Kevin Love argument on Shingun is Kevin Love shot 82 threes at UCLA in 2007, 2008, yeah. and shot 35%. There was a stretch this year in the last like month or so where uh, I don't think Sangoon like took a three. There was like a 10 game stretch where he took like three in one game, then over in like six or seven straight. And despite the numbers being like a little bit better and trending upwards, I believe he's shooting like 19% from three this season internationally. So the, the shooting for, for Caleb too, despite not being like the perfect size in, in this type of game that the NBA has evolved into, that shooting keeps on the floor. And for Jokic, he wasn't the best shooter overseas, and now he's at, I think, around 38% or so and averages like eight assists, and despite averaging close to like three, I think, his last season uh, after the draft and stash. So there's, there's still development pieces there, but a jump from 19% from Sangoon up to like the 30s is still a, is still a leap despite the jumper looking better. Yeah. No, you're right. You're 100% right. Where where would you have Sangoon? I, I guess because like I, I'm gonna have him probably near the bottom end of the top ten. If you made me bet right now, um, where are you gonna rank him? I was asked this last week and I put it down. I don't have it in front of me. I, I'd say probably like around twenty. 
just because, and, and I want to also contextualize this so people don't yell at me because I know he's he's dra- he's trending upwards and everyone thinks he's a top ten pick. I, I still just I, I want to take my swings on wings on shooters on big distributors like the return always seems to play out better with those type of guys and uh, again just kind of going to robert williams and the celtics who i I see a lot of he was once a guy projected to be uh, it's safe to say top 10 right even there's a time a year before that people thought he's top five if i had him there like i'm not psyched if i got him at at 27 where he is like that's a great pull if he goes 10th in that draft he would have gone ahead of uh, both Bridges, Mikel and, and Miles, Michael Porter, Shea Gilders, Alexander. Like those are the guys I want to whiff on. And if it doesn't work, fine. And I can I can wait on a big unless I think it's a, a foundational piece of what we want to do as a franchise. I just don't. And, and looking back at the kind of the last three or four years draft, I don't know there was a big that was taken like too late, which you'd say I, I wish we took him eight spots higher. That's kind of in that like lotteryish range. Oh, that's a great question, Penny. That is such a good, such a good like thing to take a look at. I think you're probably right. To be honest, like in 2019, Jackson Hayes was the first big off the board. That I don't think any. Yeah, went eighth. Like, yeah, we we needed him. I should have went third, right? Goga Bitadze, you know, was next. Bitadze is most famous right now for almost getting in a fight with Greg Foster, um, <laughs> which we've discussed. Yeah, yeah, we don't want uh, any beef. DeAndre Ayton is the guy who went number one in 2018. DeAndre who's, looks who's, great. Who's, who's, who's playing well, yes. Who's playing yeah, but well. Like, and, but you, you, still, have, you still take Luka Doncic and Trey Young. You have, have Luka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And you take Shea ahead of him, too, by the way. So Totally. You know, that, that's four guys. Uh, Mo Bamba, Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson probably went, you know, relatively close to where he should be. But Wendell Carter did not at the end of the day. Um, you know, looking back at 2017, Lowry Markinen, I, I don't think the Bulls are particularly pumped with that one. Zach Collins at 10. I mean, Jesus Christ, Zach. Uh, Zach, grow up. Uh, <laughs> if you saw the wow. saw, saw what Zach did post game uh, after the PSA. Denver win, um, yeah, just please, please grow up. The, the one yeah. in recent years is probably Bam Adebayo. Like he's probably the only one over the course of the last, you know four five years maybe maybe Domanis sabonis if you go back to 2016 as well but he, right. he's really but, but even if you if, if like bam definitely totally agree with you but we can also argue here that he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit too though right yeah but you still take him at like five or six in that draft even if you are not a fan yes. of him yes you still take him okay you're taking jason tatum you're taking donovan mitchell over him um i think you almost have to take him three unless you are like a huge De'Aaron Fox guy, right, right. But it's you know, Bam lived in, and, and I'm I'm a very big Bam Adebayo fan. I don't want to get this twisted, but that that this year in like the bubble, it's I, I just don't even know what's reality with basketball anymore. With him back, Donovan Mitchell's shooting percentages are lower. Anthony Davis's three point percentage was like incredible in the bubble. Now it's like twenty six percent of the season. Tyler Hero hasn't been as good. Unfortunately for me, the Celtics have had their issues so i don't even know what's like right and wrong anymore with those guys uh but the the big thing is just interesting because i'd rather i'm not going to leave guys on the board which i think can have a potentially bigger impact and pass on a just call it a moses moody a josh giddy a Corey kispert like i'm just you watched last night and joe harris goes nuts and he's totally the fourth option on that team but a complete game changer and if i can have that on the wing and i could find a guy similar to sangoon and, and sangoon could average who knows like 17 11 but i i'd still prefer a, a floor spacer if i can get him and i believe in him well and kind of, kind of the last thing i wanted to talk about with you too and i mentioned this last night when we were texting is like how much do you think kids realize that like joe harris is going to make a hundred million dollars in his career not many until you'll have something pop up after a good game, some some coach and grassroots coaches are great at this. Will pull up some graphic about his career earnings, and they'll post something like, "And you didn't want to go get up extra shots after the game." And it's completely true. And we had that role player kind of resurgence. Not this Tristan Thompson contract, but the one before. I think the contract with the Cavs was like what eighteen million a year, twenty million a year. And he just rebounded and did his job and bought into his role and, and got paid. And Joe Harris does the same thing for 
for making jumpers. And we mentioned it in the past about how Duncan Robinson is going to get paid because he's a movement shooter. If you can yep. carve out your role and actually stick, there's real value with double-digit millions of dollars per year behind it. Totally. I mean, I'm trying to think like another good example of that, like a guy who just really put his head down and like bought in, like DeJounte Murray. Like DeJounte Murray right now is getting paid based off of defense. Not necess- and yep. DeJounte was not a good defender at Washington. Like he really put his head down and was like, hey, I need to get better defensively. And he did and got to the point where he was pretty valuable defensively. Um, DeLon Wright was like an All-American who came up, I mean, the, the hardest of hard ways because he had to go like community college out of high school and everything like that. I mean, DeLon Wright is going to make probably $50 million in his NBA career. Um, and I guess that $50 million isn't $150 million like some of these kids dream of, but I don't think you have to worry about life. It's, be- yeah, it's, making, be- it's better than zero million. Yeah. It's like you and I are talking about. Um, and and know. these guys tend to poke their heads back up during the playoffs too. We, we had the, the Alec Burks game the other day, like guys who just find, find a way and he's getting paid and his earnings are probably much higher than people think too. Yeah. Larry Nance is going to make probably $70 million in his career. And that's just going to be be because he got to the NBA late at like 23 years old or something like that. Um, you know, Alec Burks, I'll, I'll pull up Alec Burks. That's another really good one. Um, Alec Burks is probably made over 50. I would say, yeah, Alec Burks is uh, gonna be I, at yeah. 60 at the end of the year. So like you, you can make the NBA just buying into your role at a high, high, high level. Um, and you should be a star in college and you should be the guy, but just know that once you get to the league, like there are specific skills that you need. You need to be able to defend on the perimeter. You need to be able to make shots like that. That's what you build off of in the NBA nowadays. And you see that more with, with agents when they're talking to second round guys. And those guys to me have an easier transition into accepting that role and not having to be a star in the, the, first second or third option and there's a lot of humble pie involved with the the g league ignite you bump guys down and half the league and the playoffs have done it and, and guys come back and make the most of that opportunity okay penny it's time it's time for recruiting stories with matt penny let's uh mm. let, let's hear a, a beautiful one just for because we haven't done this in a couple of weeks for people to remember matt penny is also uh, an event organizer on the Under Armour circuit, now, that's a fair way to describe your job, right? That is fair. Yes. Do, do you want? Do you want me to have a different title for you? Do you want me to have like? Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've never actually had a formal title, so you can call me whatever you want. That's fine. I, I roll with it. It's yeah. like it's like the John Wall call me Ben. Like yeah, whatever. You're Ben. I'm Ben now. Cool. Fine. <laughs> Penny, Director uh, of Operations, uh, Vice President of Culture, whatever. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's uh, uh, let's get a recruiting story from Matt Penny here. So <laughs> it's actually a pretty good one. I don't know how much recruiting is involved, but this is the summer of 2008, actually before my John Wall days. This is my first my first summer with Reebok basketball and really my first time being introduced to high-level grassroots. Reebok has their All-American camp in July at Philadelphia University, which I mentioned before, which I really like, love the, uh, love the school and, and love the setup they have there. And the event's loaded. They have Avery Bradley, Kenny Boyton, Mike Snare, Abdul Ghadi, Thomas Robinson, Renardo Sidney. Not all those guys panned out, but all consensus top 30 kids by the end of the summer. Sure. With that said, I have my first job, which is managing the product room. And that includes player sneakers, jerseys, shorts, socks. And from the beginning, I learned how the vultures will hang around that area and try to ask you for extra gear. And that could be coaches, parents, media people, etc. It, it never ends. The lights never go off. So the camp is around the 4th of July, and there's always issues with shipping around the holiday. So we get there July 3rd, and I want to say the event starts the 6th. The camp shoes were supposed to arrive when we did on the 3rd. Unfortunately, they didn't, and they're tracked to some random warehouse in New Jersey, the tracking saying they'd be delivered on the 5th. So we give it another day, and then it's officially panic mode. So we, we have 120 players plus coaches showing up in a day with no shoes for a footwear company's biggest grassroots event of the year. So my, my bosses at the time get creative and they search for every Reebok outlet store within like a hundred miles and rent a van and buy out the entire basketball shoe inventory of every <laughs> store. So, so any Reebok shoe basically ever made good, bad and different. They were in the back of this U-Haul van, U-Haul truck. It, it was it, honestly, it was like kind of a footwear world tour. So they get back, 
We store them all in a hotel room. It's it's floor to ceiling. The entire room is stacked. Legit, once the last box is in the room, we're told we have to move everything to the ballroom, which is a flight of stairs away and not a elevator. So it, like, worst case scenario. <laughs> Get everything unloaded. I'm feeling good about it. Maybe an hour passes and a huge truck shows up with the original shoes. Great. So now we have all these extra shoes and the, the new old Reebok. We had everything. Room's packed. So Renardo Sidney is a top five player in the country at the time and was really a, a freak of nature ahead of his time in terms of position, whatever. So he comes to the gear, gear room and he sees a pair of these low-end shoes from Reebok Outlet, which were Iversons with like $100 bills designed on them. And he said he wanted a pair. So it's like, yeah, whatever. He's the best player in the country. Take them. <laughs> so the event starts the next day. All the kids get their shoes. They're instructed to wear the latest ones at the time because ultimately this is like a, a billboard for Reebok's new releases. It's the first night. The lights are on. Games are out to start. We have hundreds of college coaches in the gym, all the Blue Bloods, all the head coaches, all the big media guys. And Bernardo Sidney comes strolling out of the locker room wearing the Iverson money shoes. <laughs> and at that point, I just put my hands on my head. I, I wanted to cry, and that was my real introduction to grassroots basketball you have this mega brand of reebok all in the newest lines and renardo sydney to be different wore the the iverson monies it's just like this is i guess this is my life now did anyone like even care or like say anything to him um i i think i i made like a, a half-hearted attempt there's a, a couple people and mutual friends that that we know who had better relationships that kind of talk him out of it but i think he played at least the first day with those on then we coaxed him into wearing the different ones but it's just it, it's gucci row with like coach k roy williams bill self all these guys and here rolls out renardo wearing the iverson monies that it. were at like a reebok outlet for like 60 bucks i love it so much it's unbelievable uh okay uh <laughs> renardo said i tried to find a picture of the pair I, I honestly can't even find them but they're like incredible what a what a character within the world of basketball for those years that he was uh okay so this is now going to be mayor of Easttown time if you have not watched mayor of Easttown, penny and i are going to spoil some things this is your fair not, too, warning. Not, not too deep though yes yes yeah this is your fair warning we are going to talk about this show now we are not going to like censor ourselves because we're probably going to, I'm, I'm going to ask Penny like what his theories are. Right. Um, so if you have not watched mayor of East town yet, and I'm giving you guys like 15 seconds here to get to your phone and <laughs> please turn it off, unplug, watch the penguins game hit stop. Okay. Penny, why is mayor of East town? Like the greatest show that I've seen probably in multiple years. My start is that I needed a Sunday scary show. I needed Sunday night, 9 or 10 my time. The weekend's over. You got to go back to work. got to go back to the office. Here's an hour that transitions you back from the work week. I haven't had it for a while. HBO had some good stuff. I think Big Little Lies maybe was like the last one. So when this hit, I was so excited. And Kate Winslet has been incredible. It's been such a good, slow build. And I thought episode six was this week. It was as good an hour of television as i can remember in a very long time it had everything and and episode five was just as good but it was such a good build to now we have this finale where there's still a lot of loose ends but it's not it doesn't have me in this true detective space where the finale happened is like oh this is this is how it ends like it's just great show it just kind of ends like there's still a lot that needs to be determined so so like here's here's part of where i'm at right Whereas, like, with True Detective, which I also loved, yes, I, I cared a lot more about what was happening and, like, the theory behind, like, trying to figure out what's going on in the show, right? In Mare, I really don't care what happens. Like, I, we'll talk mm. about it, and I, I, I guess I care a little bit because I'm, like, intrigued by the theory and, like, the, the idea of the whole thing, right? And trying to figure out the mystery, but I just enjoy spending time with these people. Like, and, and yes. look, like part of this, I feel like is like, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So I grew up like on the other side of the state, but like, I, I feel like I know most of these people. Like I know people like this. Um, like I, I grew up around people like this. Right. Um, or at least like sort of similar, you know, a, l- a little bit different, obviously. And, and I think that that's like what the real triumph of the show is. It has created a world 
that is so rich and is so uh so well-rounded and so developed in a real way that i'm just totally blown away when i watch it and the other thing that they did was they not only developed the characters in a real way they also did a really good job of developing the relationships between the characters and they do it before you even get into the show it feels like like from the moment that like Kate Winslet gets home and puts her like feet up on the table and puts like a bag of potatoes or peas or some shit on her ankle because she sprained her ankle chasing someone. You you just feel like her and Jean Smart, the mother, have known each other for years upon years. You feel like her and Lori, her best friend, have known each other for years and years. And I think that that's like something I haven't seen in a show in a long long time just those like richly developed connections that exist before you ever even watch a frame of the show it feels very authentic small town you'll watch movies watch show and they try to establish a small town you're like okay i get it it's a kind of small town you dive really into it and i i grew up in a, a smaller town i don't think as small as this one's supposed to be but like that split level ranch house that they that they have it's like yeah that was me and like five of my friends had the exact same house layout that like this house has you walk yep. upstairs there's a living room downstairs is the basement and like two of the houses have it i thought that was such a a little touch but it, it felt real it felt like these could be actual people out in in east town going through this crazy kidnapping and murder and and trying to piece it all together when everyone also knows everyone else's business too so there's these deep secrets that people have but also like everyone also knows everything you've ever done in your life and you can't escape it yeah it's the way that they've built that is so unbelievable and it's so impressive like to me like the first and it hasn't run out of steam because it's so propulsive um at this point now with the plot that I really enjoy it and love it because they've built up those relationships and they've built up um, this world in such a rich way early in the season. I enjoyed the first few episodes more than I've enjoyed the last couple episodes because it's just like you're getting to hang out with these people, right? Um, having said that, that's such a five, that's, a, that's such a mo- yeah, that's such a movie guy answer. It's true. It is. It's, it's, yeah. I, I get that, and it's, like, very nerdy and, like, strange. Typically, I'm, like, <laughs> all for, like, you know, I, f- I fucking love action movies. Like, they're the best. But I, this show has created such a rich world that, like, I, I just I just want to see as much of it as I can, I guess. Uh, I just want to see these people living their lives. <laughs> like, in every episode, you get these weird little asides where, like, you know, Gene Smart is about to, like do her little cheat day thing where she has a little carton of ice cream hidden away in her uh, like assorted vegetables bag and she's just about to get it out and then she gets a ring on the doorbell from Siobhan's like ex-girlfriend and then like hijinks ensue I still want to know do we think that Gene Smart ever got that carton of ice cream outside of the bread box yes ultimately you have to and it's it's a similar ploy that all of us do and even on like Sunday nights it's like alright one last snack and then somebody knocks on the proverbial door and really scatters your whole plans it's just the best. Um, okay, another question. Why is Guy Pierce in this show? <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good one. I, I just talked about my dad with this last night or the other day. He's like, Guy Pierce is a great actor. They're kind of wasting him. I totally am a, in agreement with that. I hope that there's not some wild twist that like, ah, yeah, he did it all. It's like, man, I thought you were like a teacher and like just a, a guy trying to find a second chance in a small town. How how do you get here? Well, but like, so I feel in, like it's- unless he ties these threads together, I, I don't know the the point. Well, I feel like if that happens, I'm going to be really blown away because he's with Kate Winslet that night, the night that the murder happens. So, yeah, like, there's also there's no uh, he has to have some bigger role because he is a, a decently named actor that you saw him get on the screen. And, and for people who, who don't watch a ton of stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, I recognize that guy's good for him to just kind of be the, the almost like the side boyfriend. I mean, the real boyfriend would be a, a strange move, but maybe that's one of the red herrings throwing you off the, the scent of what actually is going on. Yeah, maybe. Um, Evan Peters was amazing in this show. Uh, I want to say uh, the detective, Detective Zabel. Yes, uh, yes. Evan Peters is 
phenomenal uh, as an actor, and I'm really interested to see more of him. Um, th- this was something totally different than what I'd seen from him previously. Like, he's Quicksilver in the X-Men movies, and he's been in some Ryan Murphy stuff. This was, like, totally different, and I thought it was so impressive and so good. Yeah, I- I'm not going to do too many spoilers, but when something big happens in episode five, I was like, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. Right, yeah, no. Same. I-, I will say, whenever he starts, like they start doing an accounting of someone's life. I start to get the alarm bells. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the trigger. Um, okay. So theories, f- final theories. What, what do you think? Who do you think killed Aaron? Hmm. Are we going to do this? We're going to record this on the air. I've actually done my best too, to not, I, I will say for true detective, I went down every Reddit rabbit hole. I mean, yes. I, I Come knew. on. I, I, uh, why? <laughs> Penguins just scored. I think Zucker got a tip. Oh, Jesus okay. Christ. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I like that show, too. I'm surprised. I'm sure you dug into, like, the, the army and the horses and all that. Anyway, I was I was way down with, with True Detective, and I, I wanted to know everything. I've let this unfurl more of the show, and I, I read, like, two articles, and I didn't want to get too into fan theories. My, my theory, and, and please hit stop and don't yell at me if you're listening to this and haven't watched the show, is that laurie's husband did it the other brother somehow got involved and killed aaron and he's like covering up the whole thing but i know it's not like a a a wild wild thing he he didn't like he's the he's the father of of aaron's of dj the baby and somehow the brother's involved and the brother killed killed aaron and in either a fit of rage or he liked her too uh and then the i i'll just leave it at that i don't want to go too deep into my other like far-fetched ideas okay so my theory is that john is the father Lori's husband yes the son too. found out about it yes and that's well no uh, the son found out about it the son is the person who killed aaron he called billy billy helped him cover it up mm, i like that yeah that's the conversation like the the secret conversation that john and ryan the son we're having i think in like episode three yes. or four is with that the door open yeah yeah with the door open and Lori sees it is that the son admitted it to john and john has gone about like trying to cover it up since then billy's conversation with john in episode six was like him saying like yeah uh you know I, i'm willing to i killed her I'll, i'm willing to take the fall basically and they're like going out now and i think that like you know we're gonna see what happens with john like whether or not john or billy dies i don't know what's gonna happen there um but yeah that, that's kind of my theory is that the son killed aaron and then billy helped cover it up and then the son killed aaron because he found out that john was the father yeah i like that 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 can definitely play and uh my my final point on mary v Stone is not being typecast but when you have small towns like that, Kate Winslet's ex-husband who played Roy on The Office, yes. I just feel like this is like the same universe where like Roy like got his his act together and, and moved like a ten or two over <laughs> from Scranton, PA to East End. It's just like Roy, like what mess have you gotten yourself in now, man? Like you got out of the warehouse, you had a real job, and now you're with Mayor, and there's a murder and taking DNA tests. Like clean it up, man. Pam Beebs, he's not coming back. The office, it, it, the office, mayor of Easttown, extended universe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll make some preview of that, or someone has of like, you know how they make the, uh, they'll make like the Shining into like a comedy trailer. Like, yeah. I'm sure you could do the same thing with some weird mashup between the two. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent in on that idea. That's like definitely what happened here. Um, yeah, yeah. R- Roy moved from Scranton to Easttown, um, and now is like in the midst of another another bad breakup apparently because his (laughs) his fiance is left oh my god the the roy the story of roy is like just the most tragic story in uh fiction on tv in the last like yeah he he ends up getting married later seasons for any nba people who are still listening to this i'm sorry we're we're this is for our own enjoyment at this point if you've made it this far i i applaud you and congratulate you i feel like mayor is like widely uh widely watched to the point where people um people will people will be intrigued by this Uh, into the crossover appeal yeah yeah this is this is crossover stuff um okay penny tell the people where they can find you tell the people what's going on i'm at matt underscore penny on twitter i was telling sam before actually have our first event 
Under Armour Memorial Day kickoff in Indianapolis this weekend. That'll be out in Pango's All-American Camp, June 6th to 8th in Vegas. So I actual eyes on high school prospects again, high-level guys. I'm excited to get there. Excited to get back in the gym and, and working and, and getting yelled at, ultimately, by uh, coaches and media people and program directors. So uh, let's do it. Let's let's party. I'm bummed that I'm not going to be at Pangos this year. This will be the first time I haven't been at Pangos in, God, many years. So I'm a, I'm a bit bummed. Yeah, I think it's it's close to every NBA team has some, some scout uh, credentialed or pre-registered, which means they'll be a good class. They do a good job getting guys out there. Yeah, it's really kind of like the most underrated event, like to me on the calendar, because they do such a good job of getting so many guys to come out to Pangos. Like that's not across across sneaker circuits too, which is tough yeah. to do. If you go to a Nike event, Adidas event, Under Armour, it's generally just those kids. This is a good uh, cross, uh, I guess, blend of of the three circuits and very good independent kids. There's a lot of good independent kids out there, and you can kind of use that as a measuring stick when they actually play each other, and not in some imagination where you got to pretend they do yeah totally no i'm i'm a big fan of pangos um any media person debating going i would go i think it's really good um this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show uh we'll be back uh uh maybe maybe later this weekend i might do a bit more just because the nba playoffs are fascinating and so very interesting penny and i will probably be back next week after he's back from uh his uh memorial day tip-off tournament with under armor but until next time We'll talk soon. Bye.